Hey, Bleakers, I have fucked up this intro like four times already. <clears throat> this is, uh, what happens when you record an episode by yourself in a room with nothing but a microphone for company, which is the behavior, as far as I'm concerned, of a psychopath and a lunatic, basically. But yes, what the Bleaksters, what the Bleakineers, what the Bleakoids, I'm marinating it today, I'm by myself, Darcy has gone to Spain, uh... <clears throat> and left me here to do the Democratic primary debate episode by myself, but that's all right. Uh, I could have just made it next week's weekly episode, but also, like, apart from the fact that just me by myself is uh, not as good, uh, the Darcy has this topic where he apologizes for using the word Arabian and stuff, and uh, I didn't want to separate those two episodes too much, and I didn't want to put this episode out a week after that episode because the shelf life of the Democratic primary debates is to be quite frank, not that long. So we're doing it now. Uh, I've just, I'm recording this after watching the first night, which is day here, uh, of the debates. It was Liz Warren and nine, uh, prevaricating nincompoops. Uh, it was, it was tedious. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a tedious watch, uh, uh, this time around. I'm really hoping that tomorrow's main event is more interesting and I think it should be. But, uh, you know what, this is, if you're, if you're not interested in the US politics, especially at this absurd early uh, inside football kind of stage of it, just go do something better with your time, like, just fucking listen to a different podcast, or, or watch a TV show, or go for a walk, or, you know, hug your dog, or something. But, if you're one of the very few people... Uh, on this planet who are interested in this stuff and somehow less informed than I am and stick around and we'll, we'll talk through what happened. Uh, if there's, I'm sure that I've fucked this up again, somehow this introduction impossibly, cause I'm not making notes. I'm not working off notes. I'm just doing it extemporaneously, which is, uh, probably a bad idea, but, uh, if there's anything that I've forgotten, then I will insert new information here. Uh, no, nothing really, I don't think. Who, who gives a shit, anyway? Either you just got some more of me speaking about shit that I forgot, or... Uh, just a really awkward half-second pause. So, let's let's get into it. This is going to be a shorter one, uh, by its very nature. So let's, let's get on to the first night of the debates. So basically what happened this time, uh, is the shit field... It was all of the worst uh, candidates, the the absolute backrunners, and then Elizabeth Warren was there as well. Uh, so it was Julian Castro, uh, Cory Booker, Tulsi Gabbard, Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, Tim Ryan, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, uh, and Liz Warren. And I might be missing there one because I have Castro down here twice. <laughs> Uh, but it doesn't really matter because nothing much uh, of importance was said. Basically, uh, all of the interesting stuff is happening tomorrow when there's Biden and uh, Sanders and stuff and some of the stronger... Uh, oh, Beto O'Rourke, that was the other one. Uh, <clears throat> some of the stronger sort of midfield candidates as well are speaking tomorrow. Uh, so that should be interesting. Uh, maybe. But basically the story from this one was that uh, Elizabeth... Liz Warren just fucking ran roughshod over everybody. 
she was the only one who had sort of a really strong, firm core to her policy things. Obviously, as Darcy and I have spoken about in the past, uh, well, I won't speak for him, but I have significant problems with Warren as a candidate, but in the field as a secondary choice, she's basically the only option. Far inferior, I think, to Sanders' platform, but, you know, uh, as far as compromise candidates go, she's not the worst. Uh, and here she basically just shit all over everybody. Uh, there was a lot of sort of, you know, the typical kind of prevaricating, uh, question dodging stuff when Beto was asked whether he supported a 70% marginal tax rate for top earners, which we've talked about before. This is AOC's, uh, proposition that people earning over $10 million a year should have to pay 70% tax on every dollar over $10 million. Uh, he said, I support a tax rate that works for everyone. That's heartening. Uh, it was interesting to see that everybody had to kind of argue from Sanders' wheelhouse. Like, de Blasio, who I guess, I don't know a lot about him, but I guess he's made his uh, kind of name previously as being more progressive than average. Uh he, he came out and said there's plenty of money, it's just in the wrong hands, and that was like a pretty consistent message uh, to varying degrees across across the, the field. Uh, in his case, he's in a, a bad spot because he's used to arguing from the progressive side of things, but he's not the most progressive person uh, in, this, in this race. There was a moment where uh, the candidates were asked if they would sacrifice their private insurance for public uh, health insurance, this is, uh, only two people put up their hands and, and Warren was straight away and then she, she crushed the, uh, question when she was asked. What is interesting about this, or, like, funny, I guess, about this debate is the way that people, the candidates were trying to talk from this progressive uh, position that Sanders basically has made a necessary characteristic of a Democratic uh, presidential candidate, but, tr you know, bound up in the sort of bloodless strategy uh, campaign nonsense that you usually hear from this sort of stuff. So, like, uh, Liz Warren gave a very kind of uh, fluent articulate answer on the health insurance question, but essentially ending in the statement that healthcare is a human right and that it shouldn't be part of the uh, profit motive. Very good. And then Cory Booker, to one-up her, said, healthcare is not just a human right, it should be an American right. Chew on that for a second and see if it makes any fucking sense. What else did I like? Jay Inslee, uh... I don't know a fucking thing about Jay Inslee, except that he was, uh, he's a governor, uh, and he's like, if he's, he was a very sloppy boy up there. He wasn't doing a lot, uh, he, he didn't seem calm, let's put it that way. Uh, and this thing that he kept consistently doing was to hit his record, like things that he had done, uh, specifically things that he had legislated in the past and stuff, which is a good strategy, you would think, except that everybody up there had done stuff as well and nobody else was kind of 
hitting on that petty note. And as a, as a governor, he had less experience in actually accomplishing stuff than some of the other candidates. But uh, there was a bit where he, he uh, they were talking about health insurance and he stepped in and he was like, I'm the only one, I can't do his accent, so I'm just going to do a generic American moron accent. I'm the only one here in the field that has uh, acted on reproductive rights and think that they are an important uh, human right for Americans. I don't know if he's from the South or not. It's immaterial. Uh, he claims to be the only person who had acted on reproductive right and, rights and because uh, he kind of fucking set himself up for, for, for that. Uh, <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard and... Uh, Liz Warren and Amy Klobuchar all pointed out, or, well, I think, fuck, who was it? Klobuchar or Gabbard pointed out that, uh, uh, that there were three female legislators who were all pretty bullish on, uh, reproductive rights up there. I don't know what their respective records are in, in terms of material stuff, but, uh, just Inslee set himself up for that. Uh, and then it kicked off one of many things where they competed to seem like the most virtuous person there. Castro said, it's reproductive rights is not enough. Uh, we need reproductive justice, which, I mean, yeah, the way that he framed it made some sense, but it was just another buzzword. And then he dropped in mentioning trans Americans, but he didn't elaborate on that. He just took the applause and, and left. Uh, and then again... Warren came in with a solid uh, policy. She wanted to legislate Roe v. Wade as federal law, or the principles of Roe v. Wade as federal law. She she was the only one that said, uh, there's something that we can do, pretty simply, to enshrine it in law. Beto did a lot of Spanish, uh, like spoke in Spanish a lot, which seemed to be extremely pandery, and it led to sort of the funniest thread of the evening, which was uh, Julian Castro's hatred for Beto O'Rourke. And by the end of the night, basically, it seemed like Castro was there just to to, to get one over on O'Rourke, which I enjoyed very, very much. Uh, they talked about immigration. There was a pretty... Fu- so let's talk about John Delaney, because he was one of the funnier uh, motherfuckers up there. He went, he'd uh, taken a break, I guess, from going out and shooting dogs with Justin Theroux to come in and uh, was desperate to get a word in. And uh, he got a couple of answers in early on, but then wanted to talk about uh, immigration. And he was like, I forget, they're all tying this shit to their families and people that they know. That's a classic move. And he was like, my father was separated from my grandfather or I was separated from my father or something. Or my grandfather was separated from his dad. Something like that. And uh, the moderators kind of pushed him down. He's a weird-looking dude, like, perpetually just a little bit sullen, bald, insanely smooth-faced in a kind of transcendental, trans-physical way, like, or super-physical way, like, uh, like weird, uh, you know, volumetric mapping software or something instead of just, uh, skin. Uh, and that was the thing. He, he tried to butt in on that, and they said, we'll get back to you, uh, whatever he is, governor, senator. And uh, then they never did on that issue. And then for like right up until the very end of the night when he had to had to fucking force his way back in. Uh, 
I forget what question for. I don't have it noted down here because honestly trying to take notes on this shit was excruciating. Uh, but just with sheer force of will, he forced himself back onto the stage to answer some question. And it wasn't what he wanted to answer, but he, he got ignored because he had nothing to say. And uh, it was, that was kind of good, I guess. The music, they play this superhero music whenever they go to an ad break. And there were four ad breaks, I guess, or four quarters. And it's just, it's hysterical from a position outside of the US. I'm sure that it's funny if you're American and self-aware as well, but particularly from outside of the US when they they cut uh, to ad break and there's like a sweeping crane shot back from the stage as they prepare to cut away and this like ridiculous fucking like 1950s Superman trumpet and bump kind of uh, snare drum and horns and fucking it's it's ridiculous uh they asked about gun control nobody had any fucking good answers the the question i thought was an interesting one uh what do you do about the even if you legislate assault weapon bans and background checks and stuff what do you do about the uh the guns that exist and pretty much everybody dodged that question i guess cory booker has talked about a buyback program before but he didn't really go into any uh uh detail and what i noticed strategically was that when all of the candidates realized that it was a difficult question that none of them was going to win on they would just go to cheap pops and talk about uh how it's insane that american children should be scared of active shooters in school which is true but uh yeah doesn't answer the question essentially so they all just did that and they all got claps tim ryan his thing seemed to be he sucked uh definitely his thing seemed to be having weird little things that other people didn't have little positions like a big focus on electric vehicles early on and then there he's like a thing about funding trauma treatment for students which is like good but just a very small part of the whole i guess I have a note here that says, I've just realized how pointless it is. I think that goes probably double for this little special episode as well. But the thing is, yeah, I had this moment of clarity where it was like, none of these people are going to be around except for Warren. Uh, I don't think that anybody on that stage had has staying power. Uh, yeah, my next note, I forgot, uh, Delaney did get, uh, a bone thrown to him in the middle when it was clear that he was becoming frustrated, and the question that he got asked was, like, you've said that you, uh, can work with Mitch McConnell before, the famously obstructive, uh, Republican Senate leader, uh, why are you such a fucking idiot, and he stuttered and, and, and didn't do, didn't do much, then they went and talked on about fucking climate change, uh, all of it was kind of soft. Uh, Liz Warren didn't really speak in the second half. They kind of moved away from her. And it was fine because she kind of said everything she needed to say early on. She made it very clear that she had a position, that she wasn't fucking around. Uh, yeah, so when it came to the climate change stuff, she wasn't really around. And everybody else just kind of fucking just said, you know, it was important. But we've got to kind of Beto said some stuff about investing in renewables and electric vehicles and stuff but none of them really had fire 
they asked about gay rights, uh, and LGBTQ rights, uh, you know, that gave Booker an opportunity to bring trans people into the conversation, which was good, I suppose, but again, nothing was really said except for kind of, kind of tedious, uh, virtue signaling, I guess, which pains me to use that term, but it's, there was a lot of pandering, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then questions about racial justice, and that became a storytelling competition based on fictional or hypothetical people that they've met or know. You know, uh, Booker did it earlier with the, the gun justice stuff and talking about how a guy that he knowed, he knew had been killed last year and that seven people died uh, a month in his neighborhood or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's everything. There's always like, ah... Well, I know this young man, this young black American man who uh, couldn't get into school. He couldn't do it because the financial stuff was too high. And it's all like fine what they're saying, but it's just, don't you get tired of the strategy of it? The like aesthetics of the game are kind of fucking ridiculous at this point. Uh, They asked about military stuff and it was usually just an ex uh, like again an excuse for everybody to kind of beat on trump for a little bit uh predictable enough i guess they just said centering in on this iran lunacy which we talked about in the episode that just came out uh yeah 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 uh another funny thing happened here where fucking tim ryan who seems to be like the most kind of possibly conservative of this field, although it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, he talked about the specter of 9-11 and uh, how it would be important to withdraw from Afghanistan, ideally, but you have to maintain an engagement there. Uh, and then Tulsi Gabbard disagreed. She played her soldier card uh, and said as a former soldier or whatever, but she, to her credit, she does want to wind back deployment in Afghanistan. And uh, then Ryan was like, but when we weren't there, they started flying planes into our buildings, which is just the wildest fucking supposition ever. The idea that if we're not present, the coalition of the willing in the Middle East at all times with military might, uh, that they'll start fucking 9-11ing us every day or every other day. It's fucking, it's, it was crazy. And uh, he was, he didn't do well off that answer. He came across as a paranoid, crotchety warhawk from the days of old, and I don't think anybody was really buying it, although it did make him stand out. Uh, they finished off by final statements uh, and talking about impeachment and stuff. There was one bit where they asked the candidates what they think the greatest geopolitical threat uh, to is is globally at the moment. Uh, most people kind of either got it okay with nukes and nuclear warfare or the better answer, climate change, which is what Warren said, uh, but there were three uh, uh, digressions from that. Jay Inslee, who was asked early on, said Trump went for the cheap pop. Everybody thought it was a little bit funny, I guess. Or it seemed like the crowd liked it, but in that kind of whatever way. Tim Ryan said fucking China. China is the greatest geopolitical threat. Fucking, yeah, right. Uh, and then de Blasio said Russia predictable, but also extremely fucking dumb. Uh, I mean, that's what they talked about. 
Jesus, it was it's tedious stuff. It's really tedious stuff. So, the question is, if you're still fucking listening for some reason, who stood out? Well, Warren, like I said, she's, <clears throat> you know, in the big kids field, uh, definitely. Uh, obviously, I have significant problems with her reparative approach to uh, capitalism and, and uh, her history as a Republican and... Uh, problems with her strategy or whatever, but I don't think that that's really germane at this point. Uh, but, you know, compared to everybody else, strong regulations, uh, climate action, cancellation of student loan debt is a fucking huge one. Like, all of that stuff is big, and like Darcy said a couple of episodes ago, uh, like, unmistakably better than what they have at the moment. So she was the star coming out of that. It'll be interesting to see further on down the road when she gets to talk, debate uh, Sanders or whatever. Who else stood out? Nobody. They all kind of seemed weak. I liked Castro because uh, he stopped running for president and started running for fuck Beto O'Rourke club uh, about halfway through the debate. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, He, as an actual Latino man, was clearly having none of uh, Robert Beto O'Rourke's uh, horse shit, and that was kind of, you know, good to watch. Cory Booker came off okay, but pretty uninspiring. He speaks well. He's got some good ideas generally in a sort of very uh, distant kind of moral sense, but nothing, none of the uh, actual impetus that a US president needs to actually fucking change things. Uh, Tulsi's hair is cool. Amy Klobuchar didn't uh, sort of let her absolute psycho uh, personality come to the fore. She didn't throw a phone at anybody or anything. That's good. Uh, Bill de Blasio, Tim Ryan, and Jay Inslee. I honestly couldn't tell the fucking difference between these three dudes until I realized how sloppy Jay Inslee was. And then I still couldn't tell the difference between de Blasio and Ryan when they when they cut to them. If I missed the little Chiron thing that told me who they were, I was in the fucking dark. John Delaney made me laugh. He was a pathetic, babyish, bald, uh, dog guy from Leftovers looking weirdo. And he was, he was cut out. He was frozen out. But he was never going to survive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Look, it was a lot more boring than I was hoping, uh... But I think that that's primarily because of the field. The real action will be in the second night tomorrow between Sanders and uh, Biden. And the reason that I've recorded this ahead of that is because I'm sure that, uh, you know, it'll fucking overshadow this night. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the first night of the debates. Nothing, nothing exciting. It was... Here's the thing with the with the Warren standing out thing. I like Liz Warren. I don't want her to win the candidacy. Uh, candidacy. Candidacy. I don't want her to win the candidacy. I want Bernie Sanders to win the candidacy. She's like a compromise second choice or whatever, but I, I fundamentally like don't don't want her to get it. However, I like her, and it was good to see her get an opportunity to just clown on these motherfuckers 
for a little bit. That was, like, from a spectacle standpoint, that was, uh, you know, nice. It was nice to see. She kept me interested. So when she stopped speaking so much in the second half and uh, the moderators turned away from her stuff a little bit, they switched to fucking Rachel Maddow and some other person halfway through and the questions got worse because Rachel Maddow is, like, deep in myth brain at the moment. I don't know what the fuck has gone on with her, but she's she's deep in myth brain. She's in the, the big liberal fucking war against Trump and stuff, which is all important, but, you know, doesn't have any of the political imagination, I don't think. The moderators in the first half seemed like they were... I don't know any of these people except for Rachel Maddow. There were three moderators in the first part, and they seemed to be holding candidates' feet to the fire a little bit better with questions, making sure that they answered the questions and asking more interesting questions. All of the economic stuff and the health insurance stuff. So we'll see how tomorrow goes, huh? Uh, thanks for sticking sticking this far. Let's uh, let's move to night two. Yeah, so I've just watched the the second night of the debates. Uh, Bleak is, and I'm here to tell you about it. It was definitely fucking more interesting than night one, I'll tell you what. Uh, there were ten people, again. Uh, Hickenlooper, I f- I'm not sure what his first name is. Uh, there was Bernie, there was Pete Buttigieg, uh, Eric Swalwell, I think his name is Eric, Biden, uh, Yang, <clears throat> Marianne Williamson, the, the, the witch... Uh, Kamala Harris, Kristen Gillibrand, I think it's Kristen and not Kirsten or Kirsten, but, uh, I'm going to call her Kristen and if I'm wrong, well, too bad for me, I guess. And Michael Bennett, uh, there were some of the same problems, uh, as the first night in that there were some kind of minor leaguers in there that I couldn't give less of a shit about, like Swalwell, Michael Bennett, and, and Hickenlooper just seemed like, uh, sort of, Swalwell seemed like young Michael Bennett, and Michael Bennett seemed like pre-demonic possession Hickenlooper, who's a creepy fellow, I don't really know anything about his policies, but, you know what? He's a fucking creepy dude. Uh, so... This was kind of, like, I, my feeling is that Sanders really carried it. Uh, I know that there's been a bit of contention around that in the commentary so far. It's only been a few hours uh, since then, but, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My feeling is that Sanders kind of carried it. Some people stood out, like Harris admittedly stood out uh, from other people. Biden ate shit, which was good. Yang was kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, a lot of people are saying they liked Buttigieg. Buttigieg? I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Buttigieg. Or, or close to that. Uh, a lot of people were saying that they liked him. I cannot understand why uh, 
I feel like if you get up in front of a podium and a microphone and say, as somebody who's trained on weapons of war, uh, even in the context of a gun control question, that should be a warning sign to people. Uh, yeah, but basically the whole thing uh, opened up with uh, G- Gillibrand saying that there's a difference between capitalism and greed, which of course we all know is horse shit. There's no difference between capitalism and greed because the tenets of capitalism explicitly reward and preference uh, investment return profit, which necessarily rewards the greedy. There's, it's not an accident that the apparatus of this economic machine has been entirely taken over by amoral, fucking vicious, bloodthirsty monsters. It's not a coincidence. It's not some failing of, of soft influence of culture or anything like that. It's because the system is designed to reward those people. Uh, they talked a bit about, like, college costs and stuff. Buttigieg wants, uh, free college for low and middle income people. Uh, Sanders wants free college for everybody. Biden has some shit about, like, free childcare and pre-K, uh, stuff for, for, for early, early education and, and childcare. That seems to be really the only... He, he fired that bullet early in the debate, and it was pretty much the only thing that he had, I feel, that had any sort of value to it. Uh, Yang, Yang Gang 2020, haha. Uh, he was an interesting guy. His, like, uh, base of his platform is just a thousand bucks to everybody, and he's a, a tech guy or whatever. He's one of those people that generally seems to be coming at things from a reasonably sensible angle. Obviously, I can't endorse his fucking crazy uh, techno-fucking-liberalism at all. But uh, what was interesting is he kept talking about trickle-up economics and sort of low-income stimulus and uh, and value-added tax and stuff like that <clears throat> for, for companies. Uh, I've talked with Darcy like on this show a lot about Something that I find frustrating is that even even the adherents of this uh, economic system take it too far and uh, believe in trickle-down and cutting tax for high-income earners and for business owners and stuff and lowering wages and stuff to just put control and power in the hands of those with wealth but at the expense of the health of the system as a whole thereby like perversely limiting their ability to extract wealth from it they're not really canny consumerists if that makes a sense not consumers but consumerists yang is like my hypothetical smart consumerist he understands that if you are going to have a rapacious fucking uh system that depends on wealth extraction, then you need there to be wealth to extract. So he believes in stimulating low-income people. Uh, I think that, you know, that's true under the system. The best uh, that we have, the best kind of, one of the best things that we can do is ensure that, like, wages are high and uh, people are getting kind of money in the low income brackets and, you know, like strong universal welfare systems and stuff like that. Or not universal. I, I'd be for a UBI if it were well Im- implica- uh, implemented. We've talked about that before. But, uh, you know, uh, non-means-tested welfare shit so that, or like easy access, non-punitive, non-paranoid 
uh, welfare shit. Uh, that's like good under the current system. It helps people out. Uh, so, you know, that's where Yang seemed to be coming from, which makes him better than some people in the field. But, you know, he's still kind of just one of those strange candidates. He doesn't, he, he doesn't have a chance, I guess. Uh, pretty much straight after this, uh, there was a, 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 a like a fracas, one of those noisy kind of things where everybody's trying to speak over each other and stuff, and just through sheer force of will, Bernie shouted them all down and got got his word in and got to speak on the, the, the topic, which I think was still healthcare, perhaps, or... I forget. I'm just interested in the spectacle of it. You know that. Uh, Buttigieg tried to do the how will you pay kind of disingenuous angle, of course. I'm sure that our listeners know this already uh, insofar as they know anything about the US system, but they pay more per capita than countries with uh, universal healthcare systems on healthcare. Uh, it would be cheaper for them once you eliminate private insurance premiums uh, and replace them with a kind of more equitable tax situation, uh, the vast majority of Americans would be better off. And, you know, it's fucking insane that they don't have universal health care. It makes sense in sort of the way that uh, the system works and the, the monsters that are in charge of it, but it's it's from a sanity politics perspective, it's wild. I'm sure you all agree with that. Uh basically. Biden did some of that, uh, that thing that I was talking about in the first part where you use a personal story. He, uh, in his answer to the question of universal healthcare was saying that he wanted to strengthen and then gradually, uh, up increment Obamacare. And he chose to deliver this answer wrapped in the shell of the story of his, uh, like, wife and kid dying in a car accident. Sucks for him, tragedy or whatever, but it seemed, like, bizarre uh, from a from a fucking strategy. It seemed kind of gross to me. Not as, maybe grosser, but not as funny as then uh, Bennett, Michael Bennett, uh, trying to jump onto that with a story about how his kid just had his appendix out so he understands the, the the trials of the healthcare system. The establishment candidates generally seems to be a bit disconnected from the idea that in America, whether you have insurance or not, a health malady can completely fucking destroy you. Financially. Potentially. Uh, yeah, they talked about undocumented uh, immigrants and stuff like that, undocumented workers, undocumented foreigners, whatever the terminology is. Uh, most of them were kind of okay on this. They generally, there was a consensus that they wanted to cover undocumented immigrants uh, under their healthcare systems. Biden dodged the question. Marianne Williamson brought up Latin American foreign policy, which was good uh, to roll that in there because it's fucking super important. Obviously, Latin America suffers immensely from its closest neighbor being uh, the United States. Uh, there was a funny bit when Gillibrand was speaking where the subtitles kept saying slime seekers instead of asylum seekers. 
that was kind of good. She doesn't want private prisons. Yeah, I agree with that. Biden was like, first thing that's important is to reunite families. Second thing that I would do is reunite families. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he didn't really have a lot. And then one of the moderators uh, pushed him on the issue of deportation, sort of pointing out that uh, the Obama administration had been the biggest deporter to date of uh, <clears throat> uh, undocumented immigrants and stuff. He looked devastated when this happened. And then he says, yeah, those people have to be deported. He was like, he made a differentiation between refugees and asylum seekers and I guess boilerplate undocumented immigrants made that distinction and was like, yeah, they have to be deported, but until we deport them, we should look after them, you know, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> Bernie gave a, you know, solid answer. We know his kind of fucking thing. Every time he spoke, he stayed on message, clear and articulate about it. He kind of didn't answer questions some of the time, but not in an evasive way so much as a refuting of the question or reframing of the question around uh, what he believed to be a more central idea or <clears throat> something like that. Uh, it generally came off quite good. Then, uh, you know, Harris and, and Biden had this fucking this like uh, altercation which started here uh, you know, Yang talked about Russia, there was a thing about China and their treatment of intellectual property, kind of talking about general things. I have a note here that says, Americans look so fucking fake, C.F. Swalwell. He looks like a fucking cheaply constructed character of a, like, good American boy from some, like, shoddy American TV show. It was bizarre. Uh, <clears throat> there was a bit, just before I get to the Harris-Biden fight, which was fucking glorious, uh, Pete was talking about, Mayor Pete was talking about, uh, police accountability, like, the, the, the idea of police accountability came up, and Mayor Pete was talking about it because, uh, his mayoral office is currently struggling with some fucking, uh, racist police violence, and he has been notoriously shitty on this in the past. He's, he doesn't hold, uh, those accountable to account in the way that they should be held account. While he was delivering his thing, Swalwell was just like, you're the mayor, like, fire the chief. And he was like, well, if that's what the protocols dictate should be done, then that's a possibility. Swalwell was just like, do it. You can do it. Fire the chief. That was pretty good. Uh, but then, 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 Kamala Harris uh, did this beautiful thing where she said, I'm not calling Joe Biden a racist. I don't think he's a racist. But she was the only uh, black person on stage. She, her family was around during desegregation stuff. Uh, so that was relevant to her, and she was like, it's hard to to not be upset by your record on voting against busing and stuff like that. Uh, so she called him a racist without calling him a racist, and really fucking, I think, leveled some pretty serious attacks. Then he said he was a public defender, not a prosecutor. Uh which is 
you know, good as well. She got torn down a little bit for her sketchy past. Of the two, she definitely won that fight. It, but what's important there, and this is where all of the screenshots of Bernie standing in the middle of them kind of looking at each other, that shit's going to be memed pretty hard. I think I've seen it a little bit already. Uh, that was the best possible outcome. Bernie was able to sit back, not go on the attack. Harris and Biden went in on each other, and it made Biden in particular look shitty. But, you know, Harris took a took a thing uh, as well, a couple of shots. Bernie was asked about diversity, and he was like, yes, diversity is important, but we got to keep this other thing in mind that without taking care of the economic problems, diversity won't do anything. He handled it really well, just to say that diversity is one thing, but if you don't address the economic underpinning, uh, you can't really do anything meaningful with diversity. And then Gillibrand followed up and kind of took her follow-up time to essentially just uh, strengthen and fortify his argument that uh, these economic issues are disproportionately hitting people in marginalized identities that we typically are talking about when we talk about diversity, that uh, just having a diverse cabinet doesn't mean anything if your economic policies, your foreign policies, etc., are sort of inherently discriminatory and racist because they function off the capitalist construction of racism as a power tool. So that went pretty fucking well. Biden did this thing a lot where he implicitly took credit for shit that Obama did by saying, you know, I was the one that did this when he talks about things that got accomplished uh, during the Obama administration. He didn't use Obama's name all that much. He, he did a couple of times. But what was pleasing about this was he was trying to take credit for stuff and it doesn't, it, it didn't really stick uh, which was kind of kind of interesting, uh, and people would go in on him for for some of the the fake stuff that he said and shit. His answer on to Kamala Harris's charges, where he talked about why he uh, was anti-busing or whatever, was interesting and telling. He's like, I just don't think that the federal government, via the Department of Education, should be forcing people essentially to desegregate. Uh, you know, it didn't go down well. They asked this similar... I talked about how, like, Warren had this interesting idea that she wanted to legislate the principles of Roe v. Wade into into federal law to sort of permanently protect uh, women's rights to, to, to an abortion and, and whatnot <clears throat> as, as law, which I thought was really good. Bernie, they asked a, a similar question this time, and everybody was just kind of like, yeah, Roe v. Wade is, is good. Uh, Bernie was like pro Roe v. Wade. He didn't talk about legislating it into federal law. Uh, and he said he was against packing the Supreme Court, which was interesting. But then he said he believed that his administration would have the constitutional authority to rotate justices out of the Supreme Court into other courts, which as far as I know is something that uh, has never been raised before as a potentiality. So I don't know how much truth it has to it. I don't think that he would make that claim if he didn't think that there was a pretty good uh, basis for it. How practical it is is another question, but that rotating justices out of the Supreme Court is fucking unheard of, as far as I know. Uh, 
It was a kind of really uh, exciting proposition, really. The idea that the, the Supreme Court doesn't have to be a lifelong deathlock of conservative judges. He also said that he wouldn't uh, nominate any justice that didn't have a positive stance towards Roe v. Wade. <clears throat> Gillibrand said she wants to go on the offense on Roe v. Wade, which sounds like a kind of mealy-mouthed, nothing sentiment, but I think has some actual teeth to it. And when we talk about the sort of the ineffective nature of, of all of these, these neoliberal centrist politicians who want to... Uh, always talk about procedure and process and, and all of that shit. Uh, this is kind of the, the difficult to pin down stuff that I think could help in that regard, being aggressive, unapologetic, and uh, relentless about a moral issue or a, a moral policy issue that you strongly believe in. I agree with her. They should be going on the offense with Roe v. Wade and not just letting the the uh, decision stand as their only shield and just kind of letting the states erode that through this recent rash of anti-abortion measures. Uh, they did a, the, a little bit of talking about climate change and stuff. Uh, Kamala Harris had a real slippery kind of non-committal answer. Mayor Pete uh, Buttigieg talked about tax and dividend stuff, carbon taxes and whatnot. Uh, Hickenlooper didn't really have anything. Uh, I, I think uh, Michael Bennett might have talked about kind of investments in renewables and stuff like that. Biden talked about shit that the Obama administration did. None of that was like satisfying as an answer, but it did lead me to wonder how the US manages to be simultaneously worse and better than us on renewables and electric vehicles and shit like that, because they obviously have the largest uptake of that technology, I guess, because a lot of it is either invented there or invented <clears throat> by groups that have interests in uh, the US and stuff. They still manage to be like the center of terrible fracking shit and and over exploitation and really the, the the dark vortex of all of the fucking oil misery that goes on in the world. But it just did, it did lead to this interesting thought that they've also got uh, the shit that Darcy was talking about with the Texas AI grid decision making stuff and they've got all of this EV stuff and whatnot. I don't know if there's anything uh, substantive or, or conclusive in that thought, but like maybe just a, a skerrick of hope that this shit could eventually just take over. It's that hoping that the market forces save you thing, which I know is uh, the last <coughs> kind of bastion of a desperate mindset, but you know, who among us isn't desperate at the moment? Uh, Bernie talks about how important collaboration is. Williamson, Marianne Williamson who, uh, let's get to, to, to Marianne Will Williamson now. Fucking what an interesting person. She's got, I don't know who to say her accent is like, but it is like an old American, uh, kind of diva sort of personality thing. Liza Minnelli was what came to mind. That's not exactly accurate. Uh, there's that comedian as well. <clears throat> uh, 
Joan Rivers are like kind of a slightly less, uh, slightly less <clears throat> grizzled Joan Rivers. Anyway, she's got this interesting voice. She talks about positive energy and shit. She's the, the, the like good feeling, magical thinking candidate. Uh, apparently she has shit, uh, ideas about vaccination and stuff, but that's neither here nor there. She's not a serious contender, but fucking gee willikers. Am I happy to have her sitting up there and, 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 and talking unabashedly about energy and, uh, uh, the energy of love and, uh, and positivity and stuff. Uh, <clears throat> there's not like heaps to talk about with, with her, but, I'll skip ahead to like when they talked about uh, their closing statements, when they delivered their closing statements. Marianne Williamson's was, uh, she just cast a powerful love spell. She talked about how Trump had uh, utilized and harnessed the energy of fear for his, for political gain and for political purposes. And she talked about how she was going to refute that with the much stronger power of love and harness the power of love for, for political uh, uh, ends. Uh, so, you know, she's a wild card. It's always a delight to have a, a crazy person. No, no, not a crazy person. A fucking different thinker. This is what I was thinking about, right? Accepting her position on vaccinations and stuff. <clears throat> I don't really know anything about her policies. So her policies, uh, could be, could be dog shit. But if I use her as a kind of, uh, hypothetical stand-in, the idea of, like, a magical thinker... I've talked a bit about, I think, ages ago on the show about how I'm kind of a fan of magical thinking. I, 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 don't, I don't believe in any of the kind of mythology underneath it, but I don't think that uh, the existence, the empirical existence of a magical substrate is actually necessary for magical thinking to have an effect. And, like, seriously, pr the next time you're in a tight spot, pray to a local god, an animus... And uh, and talk, it'd be like, help me out, local god. You don't have to believe in it. This is the the great thing. And then if you find yourself with some sudden reserve of energy and and persistence and optimism, you can ascribe it to the local god, even though it's just coming from inside yourself. And crucially, if you fucking fail, you've got somebody to blame. And what could be cooler than going through life with uh, a series of of grudges against local gods having a, a catalog of uh of divine beings for you to call enemies and that in itself is motivated what i'm saying is you should all become animists and uh i think it's good so having a magical thinker <clears throat> in the fucking white house of the u.s it's a wild angle i i don't like it as much as the idea of having a socialist in the white house but what could, uh, how could that possibly be worse than having a naked careerist, bloodthirsty warhawk, sort of unabashed capitalist in that fucking position? All of the people who base their uh, uh, personalities on on sort of <clears throat> material concerns above the fuzzy ideas of energy and shit. Of course, they're all ideological anyway. We know that we can't escape ideology, but uh, I want to do a quick clarification here uh, as I'm editing this and, and, and realizing what I've unintentionally said. I'm not talking about materialists here. Uh, socialist materialism 
has a focus on kind of uh, alleviating suffering and whatnot, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who uh, frame their worldview based on a, a central idea of rationality over morality, which I think is the technocratic way to, 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 to build the perfect system so that morality doesn't get in the way. Fuzzy thinking about morality. Also, that leads people to be vicious and, and careless and uh, uncaring and stuff. That's part of the problem with the neoliberal technocratic approach of system is it allows you to, to disconnect yourself from fundamental moral questions like compassion and stuff. You can pay lip service to it, but ultimately you leave the moral responsibility in the hands of a system or a technique. And that's dehumanizing. So yeah, more witch candidates, I think. Not Hickenlooper, though. I don't trust him. His intentions are dark. I think. Uh, they talked about guns and stuff. This is one of the other things that's going to get hit, is Rachel Maddow quoted Bernie. Allegedly out of context, I don't really know the, the situation. He called it a mischaracterization. She said it was a direct quote. Guns have always been a sticky uh, area for, for Bernie because many of his constituents are gun owners. It's something that I would much prefer him to be uh, more bullish on, but I can understand why he's not. He said he supported assault weapons bans. He said he supported background checks, closing the gun show loopholes and stuff like that. All of which is, I think, about as much as you can get before it becomes a really, really, really sticky issue for you politically as a US politician. Uh, somebody pressed him on, on buybacks, and eventually he was like, yeah, sure, a buyback for assault weapons if if the assault weapon ban is is uh, put in place, slash again. So, like, he took a bit of a hit there, I think, but uh, honestly, he fucking, he did fine on that. Nobody else had a more ambitious gun policy than he talked about there. It's just that Rachel Maddow tried to kind of uh, destabilize him with that, that, that uh, quote. I don't think it's stuck. I think that it'll be used as ammunition, definitely, by, uh, pun intended, by his detractors, you know? Uh, I think that they should be doing as much as they can to, to combat gun violence and gun culture in the US, but beyond banning assault weapons, beyond instituting background checks and requiring licenses, uh, which is Cory Booker's big thing, which I, I, I agree with, uh, beyond closing loopholes, loopholes that let you get guns on the day without documentation at gun shows, beyond all of that stuff, I don't know that there's much further you can go as a, as a candidate without, you know, getting the fucking lunatics up out of their holes talking about civil war. You know, there was mostly a consensus on guns, really. Uh, Biden wants smart guns. He says that the way to solve the problem is smart guns that require biometric data like thumbprints and shit to fire. Nobody pulled him up on, on this, which is that if you instituted smart guns today, that would only work with every gun sold from this point on. It does nothing to address the immediate existing crisis of gun proliferation in that country. It seems dumb to me. I don't know. They talked about war. Uh, 
it was a great moment where Biden was like, as a as vice president, I was instrumental in bringing ten thousand people out of Iraq, and Bernie was like, "Well, I voted against that war, and you voted for it. So what about that?" And then he was like, "I will do everything in my power to prevent us from going to war with Iran." It might not be up to him, honestly, but yeah, there was that, and then they kind of got to to final statements. They talked a lot about like what you would do in your first. 100 days, what you would do day one, what your most signature policy was and stuff. Those were all kind of silly questions. You can kind of guess what everybody said, really. Uh, Biden relied a lot on Trump, I think, to get him over the lines. He was like, day one of my presidency, I'll defeat Trump, which obviously doesn't make a fucking bit of sense because if it's day one of his presidency, then he already has. Uh, in his final statement, he finished by saying, may God protect our troops, which seemed like fucking wild and out of the, out of the blue. Everybody kind of said exactly what you would expect. Uh, Bernie had an extremely powerful closing statement. This was really his highlight of the night where he said, people watching this will be saying, these all seem like decent people with decent ideas, but why is it that every time a decent person with decent ideas gets elected that nothing fucking changes. He didn't say fucking, that's me editorializing. Uh, and, and hammering the idea that without a, a big movement, a big populist movement, without pressure on the economic consensus on these big health and pharmaceutical companies, and he used the words military industrial complex, which was pretty a breath of fucking fresh air. He said without concentrated tireless pressure against these things, then nothing will change. Essentially saying that none of these people, no matter how good their intentions, can save you from this machine unless they're willing to fight with you against the machine specifically. And I think that that really helped in recontextualizing everybody's answers and showing that, yeah, some of them may have had good intentions. Biden doesn't. He's a piece of shit. But say Gillibrand has some okay ideas. Harris has some okay ideas and some terrible ideas, obviously, given her record as a prosecutor and stuff. Uh, you know, Mayor Pete has some good ideas and also some terrible ones. Uh, but none of them are thinking in terms of like defeating the way that the system operates, defeating the system. And so they're doomed to be buffeted around by its currents and its eddies. Once you get caught in one of those eddies as a political leader, you're done. It defines you. Uh, so I think that that was, as, as far as closing statement statements go, that was pretty fucking, uh, pretty fucking good. And that was it. I'll tell you what, significantly more exciting than the first night. We had Dark Wizard Hickenlooper, we had uh, White Witch... Williamson, we had Harris and, and, and Biden going in on each other, we had people attacking uh, uh, Mayor Pete for stuff, Swalwell attack. I think it was Swalwell, it might have been the other guy, Bennett, because they looked identical from the side, just decades different, but I couldn't tell. I think it was Swalwell going in on Mayor Pete for his, his quintessentially racist, liberal... Uh, thing, which is just never having the moral fucking gumption 
to actually tackle problems of systemic racism, particularly in police departments. Uh, nobody really attacked Bernie for anything. There one guy, I forget who, one guy early on said that, you know, socialism is not the answer for this thing, but it was, it might have been Bennett and it, it didn't really go anywhere. It was generally good. Rachel Maddow attacked him on the gun thing, you know, tiny hit, but I don't think really a significant one. And when you analyze the substance of what was said, it's not like there are other people saying ban guns completely and do a mass buyback. Uh, which, you know, is the only way really to go further than Bernie's problem. He has a D- minus from the NRA. You know, some other politicians have an F, which would be preferable, but I can kind of understand his position. Disappointing, but ultimately, what other fucking choice do the Americans have at this point? You know what? I love this debate shit. I'm interested in US politics. Uh, it's much more fucking tectonic than our politics, which are, are just depressing. I thought about doing one of these solo episodes back when we, we couldn't really get together to record after the Australian election. But to be honest, I was just too bummed out about that one. It hit me a little too hard. I couldn't do it. But this one I can enjoy from a, from a remove and enjoy the spectacle of it. And I'll tell you what. It was a spectacle. I'm, I'm, uh, genu genuinely, my takeaway is, is optimistic. Honestly, Biden couldn't fucking hang. And he's the front runner. He just couldn't hang. He, he got attacked. And this is fucking NBC moderators and other centrist candidates attacking him. It's not even the left. So if that's where, like, the Overton window is so significantly altered from where it was at the last election, and, and doubly so the election before that. So Biden is... I don't have a lot of hope for his... I mean, I, I do have hope. I don't, I don't, I don't think that he's going to, to stick around there. Harris might pick up some of his voters and become uh, another contender... On the one hand, she's just vastly preferable to, to Biden as a candidate. She's still well, well behind the only good candidates. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, and Bernie did well. Nobody really got any licks in on him. So, optimism, I think. Bernie, number one clear frontrunner for me, personally. Warren, a distant second, but the best of the capitalists. Marianne Wilson, Williamson, <clears throat> number third. Positive vibes. How relevant is this to Australians? Not, not very, probably, if you're talking about the, the, the specific minor details. Why would you give a shit? But Australian politics for the last few decades has always followed American politics. I don't think that we should be involved in a fucking war on Iran. I don't think that we should be using American models of healthcare or education or welfare, all of which have sometimes explicitly gone in an American direction. I don't think that we should have American values of uh, company taxation 
of industrial power. Uh, I don't think that we should be concentrating wealth in the way that they do, and in the way that we are, because we always follow them. I said it a few weeks ago on one of the episodes, I don't think that Australian social... I, Australian socialism has a fucking road ahead of it. Or it's going to be a real fucking struggle. We can't even get a very mild Labour Party elected. <clears throat> and they don't show any signs of, of, of courage or imagination. Certainly not to the extent that would be necessary for a, for a real success and then real positive effects. So I don't see a lot of hope for... Australian socialism in the short term, I think one thing that could give it a real shot in the arm is if socialism succeeds abroad in our daddy and mummy countries, basically. That's how we conceive of them, mythologically, I think. Until it succeeds in America, potentially in the UK, with a, which is, with a much more socialist candidate, but a much, much fucking more fraught situation. This is the strongest opportunity for a socialist victory electorally in the West that we've had since I've been born, at the very least, and I gather quite some time prior to that. Uh, and, you know, it feels crucial to the movement as a whole. Not crucial. I'm sure that the movement will continue if, if Bernie loses, which he may well do. Uh, and he may well not get much accomplished in office because of the way that the system is, is set up. But in terms of opportunities to really push things forward, this feels like a fucking a pretty big one to me. I don't know if you agree. It's fine not to agree. It's also fine to talk about how electoral electoral politics are not the most important thing. You're right. Organize, volunteer, do whatever help people be kind in your day-to-day -day, that's more important than voting right I guess although you, you do also have to vote right but a movement like ours I think requires or maybe not requires but could benefit immensely from a publicly ratified leader position through the electoral system. It's not the be-all and end-all. I don't think that he'll immediately fix everything. I don't know if he'll be able to get Medicare for all off the ground or free college or any of that shit. I think he'll do what he can through executive powers. I think he'll be good for the Supreme Court. I think he might be able to get some of that legislation shit done, uh, especially if he starts to, to, to become seen as a really popular president, which honestly he could be. But just having that seat, that jewel in the crown of democratic, pretty soft, but still important socialism is a really important step for all of us. So yeah, that's the debates. I guess maybe I'll do another one of these for the second debate. Maybe not. Maybe I'll just talk about it on the regular episode if we're in a recording uh, period. I hope you've enjoyed this if you've stuck with it. Fucking good on ya. It was all a bit of sometimes very tedious fun. The second night went a lot quicker for me than the first night, which felt interminable. My final thought is about uh, Warren as the star of the first night. Undoubtedly, she was the star of the first night. 
I don't think that her policies would have stood. I mean, they would have stood out as as significantly more left than the the vast majority of the field on the second night. But I don't think that her performance would have stood out as much on the second night. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with her in in future debates. But uh, as far as structurally, the first night was excruciating to watch in a lot of ways. But overall, this. I think we can count as a win if those two candidates are are doing that strongly. All right. Shit. What a grind. You listen to one person talk without anybody to sound off. Really not making any jokes. Also kind of an idiot and probably dropping the ball. And if you disagree with me, fucking write in about it. Weaknessforbleakness at gmail.com. No tricks with the spelling. Follow us at weakforbleak. I'll play that fucking Leonardo's Robot track now. Thank you, LR. Take it easy. Oh.